Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in the uh, verses that Taryn uh, just read for us. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 here in just a moment. And as you're turning there, I'll introduce myself. My name is uh, Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here at Citizens Church. And you are a group of people uh, that either don't care about the Cowboys or love Jesus more. And that's why you're here at this. Either way, I love you, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, let me start this way. Last Sunday was a really special time. I, I'm sure uh, many of you were here for that. It was our commissioning service, and uh, I could talk for a really long time about why last Sunday was as special as it was. Uh, and I just want to kind of grab uh, that, grab one of those things that's kind of fresh on my mind uh, to kind of frame up uh, at least the first few moments of our time together. One of the things that made last Sunday so special is that it was actually uh, the closure and uh, really the crescendo of a long season that we have been in as a people. So we first publicly talked about becoming uh, our own church back in early 2017. And so as soon as we did that, we entered into this kind of in-between space. And that in-between space had these markers throughout, and even moving into this building was one of those markers, and then voting was one of those markers, and then kind of the change in who's preaching was one of those markers, and then August 1st, when we like formally became our own church, was one of those markers, but we'd always kind of been saying, hey, we're a citizen's church, and then also this thing's coming, and then, hey, we are uh, our own church, but commissioning service is coming, and so then that came, and this is our first Sunday on the other side of that, and there's just no more of that. There's no more marker that we're working towards, so it's, this is, it. We are us. Welcome to Citizens Church. And so, and yes, amen. And one of the very first things that we're going to do on the other side of a long season of transition is we are going to look at a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago to a group of people that lived in, a, in, in what is modern-day Turkey. And so we're going to take a deep dive and a long dive into the book of Colossians. There are two reasons for that, and I want to offer those two reasons to you. One uh, is very obvious, and so I'll make that point really briefly. The first reason we're going to go through the book of Colossians is because it's in the Bible. And, and I'm not trying to be funny. What I mean is I'm trying to double down on something, that we as God's people are led by God's word, shaped by God's word. So there's a couple of ways to, to live your life. And one of the ways to live your life is to uh, allow maybe like your impulses to be the thing that guides you and, and to allow kind of what you want when you want it to be the thing that guides you. And it's kind of like uh, if you've ever played a game with a young kid, right? Playing a game even with your kids or someone else's kids. It's that moment when you're playing this game with them and they change the rules on you mid-game because they don't want to lose. Does that ever happen? So it's like I'm you know, playing tag and all of a sudden you, you catch, right? Tag, you're it. And then they say, what? No, 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 no. I'm on base. Like, what do you mean base? I, ta I've been playing tag. Tag has been around since when you were just a thought in the mind of God. No, you're it. No, no, no. I'm on base. And it's like, no, kid, I've been losing at tag for over 30 years. If there was a base, things would be different. And so you're like, okay, whatever. You're, you're a child. And so you keep playing. You tag them. You're like, okay, tag, you're it. And they're like, no, no, no. You got to tag me twice. I'm like, what? It's Tuesday. It's tag twice Tuesday, right? And so you didn't know that, dad? And so that's kind of the, the way that it plays out. And, and what happens is, is one, that makes it not fun at all. 
And then two, you never actually get anywhere in the game because the rules are always changing. And, and look, we live in a culture where what is, what is maybe more common than not is for the people that we live around to change the rules of life, right? To change uh, truth, to manipulate truth, to change morality, to kind of change uh, based on what they feel when life gets uncomfortable or when things are asked of them. And so you hear me, we are not the people. Uh, who, uh, for us, this is all relative. We are not those people. We are not the people for whom the, the, what life looks like and what God expects is always changing. We are the people who are not first and foremost a speaking people or first and foremost a doing people, but we are first and foremost a listening people and we are changed. We don't change the rules or change how life works. We are changed by God's word who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in hearing from him, we are changed. And so look, the primary way that God speaks to his people is through the Bible. It's why we're really excited about it around here. So the first answer to the question of why Colossians is because it's in the Bible. And because it's in the Bible, it's God speaking. Because it's God speaking, we, as his people, hang on his every word. The second reason, I want to read verses 1 and 2, and then Uh, hone in on just four words that we're going to read in verse two to answer that question. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That phrase, those four words, in Christ at Colossae, everything that's coming in this letter, in all four chapters, everything that's coming after that introduction could fall into one side of, those, uh, of that phrase. So everything could be Paul saying, hey, here's what it looks like to live your life in Christ, or here's what it looks like to live in Christ at Colossae, where God has placed you. And so we're calling this series Life in Christ in hopes that, because what it's going to communicate from beginning to end, is this what it... This is what it looks like to be a people who are in Christ. And then this is what it looks like to be a people who live out of their in Christness where God has placed them. So let me tell you why this would have been so important to this church at this time. And to be able to do that, for us to understand it, I need to give us a little bit of the story of the city of Colossae and a little bit of the story of how the church came into Colossae and a little bit of the story of why the letter was written to that church that was in Colossae. And I'm going to take some time to do that. And let me tell you unapologetically why I'm going to take time to do that. Because we cannot rightly understand what this letter means to us unless we first understand what it meant to them. And it will not mean something different to us than what it meant to them. That's not how God writing in his word works. In Christ, at Colossae, to a people who were being pressured to pull away from Jesus or to pull away from their city. Let me tell you this story. Colossae is a city in the Roman Empire in what is modern-day Turkey. It was a collection of cities that belonged in this area called Phrygia. Uh, And two things to know about Colossae that I'll hit quickly. One, it was very diverse. Colossae fell on a major road and on a major fork on a major road in the Roman Empire. And I don't know if you remember this from school, but Rome was one of the first empires to build these roads that connected the known world through these roads. And so Rome building these roads did in that time what the internet has done in our lifetime by way of connecting culture and connecting people and making global business 
possible. And so Colossae fell on one of those roads. And in fact, it fell at the fork of one of those roads. To get anywhere of significance in that region, you had to go through Colossae. That's how the city begins. And so you know what that means? It means people from all over the world move into Colossae to do business in Colossae, so much like what we are seeing even in Collin County right now. That was Colossae's story. And in doing that, it brought in what? All kinds of races and all kinds of religious backgrounds and all kinds of uh, people from different socioeconomic statuses. In fact, a lot of the people in Colossae didn't actually choose to go to Colossae, but they were forced to uh, be relocated to this city from where they live. So just one example, a uh, hundred years or so before the letter was written, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes took 2,000 Jewish families from Jerusalem and placed them into Colossae and forced them to relocate as refugees in that city. And so what that amounted to was this melting pot of cultures and beliefs and ethnicity and rich and poor all gathered into the same geographical space. So you're there, and to, be, uh, and to live there, maybe it means that your, your neighbor to the left of your house was Jewish, and they read you know, the Torah, and they went to synagogue, and then the neighbor to your right uh, was a pagan that worshipped the Greek goddess Artemis. The neighbor across the street was part of some cult that you didn't quite understand. They worshipped all of these spirits, and things were weird, and, and you didn't know much about what they believed. You just knew you were never going to ask them to babysit your kids. And so that's kind of the world that you live in. It's a melting pot. And the other thing we need to know about Colossae is this. Colossae, and, and I, come with me here. Colossae already had a gospel that they believed. And I don't mean that religiously because they, they were allowed to have different religious beliefs and worship different things. But Colossae, as part of the Roman Empire, meant that they had a king and his name was Caesar. And what, I, and what I want us to know is that that was not uh, just a historical fact that, that Caesar was in power. There were theological and spiritual claims about what it meant to be in the Roman Empire, specifically this. Rome's gospel was Caesar is in charge, Caesar protects you, he keeps you safe. Believe whatever you want to believe, worship whatever you want to worship, but at the end of the day, know this, he is in control. Let me show you that from a, there's an inscription that was found about 100 miles from Colossae. It's called the Priony Inscription. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And this is what they said about uh, the very first Caesar, Augustus. Since Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him, listen to this language, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the what? God Augustus was the beginning of the what? Good news for the world that came by reason of him. The, the hope. Savior, God, end all things, bring peace, good news. Who do we use that language to describe? Jesus. 
That's what we say about Jesus. But for those who lived in the Roman Empire, that was what they believed to be true about this guy, Caesar. And to even put it even more explicitly, what we read is that they're writing that this guy, Augustus, is God. And then the Caesars that came after were the children of the Caesar before. And if your dad is God, what does that make you? The son of God. That was one of their favorite titles for themselves. So to be in Colossae meant there was a king who claimed to be the son of God who brought peace to the world. And that that word that we read together, that phrase, good news, that's where we get our word what? You know, gospel. Colossae had a gospel. And it was the gospel not of King Jesus. It was the gospel of King Jesus. Caesar. And so that's the world of Colossae. And so they already had their hope and their security. And so to be in Colossae meant this, that even though they're not Rome, Colossae was uh, about the distance from uh, Colossae to Rome. is about the distance from Plano to Vancouver, Canada. But even though they were not Rome, they looked like Rome because they obeyed Rome's king. And when you give your allegiance to Rome's king, the world around you begins to look like his kingdom, his Rome. Okay, somehow into this city, a church is born and a church is brought into that city, a city that's incredibly diverse, a city that already has a gospel. And I am just uh, excited to share that story with you because I think it's gonna be so helpful for us with where we're at. And so instead of uh, us getting bogged down in a bunch of history, what I wanna do is I wanna tell that story as if it's your story. And so I wanna tell it as like a first person or a second person story. And so imagine with me, you live in Colossae and what you know to be true, what you've just learned is that it's really diverse, and that Caesar is king, he's in charge. And you live in that city and you've got a friend named Epaphras. We read about him in verse seven as Taryn read for us. And Epaphras is a friend of yours. He's a businessman. He's a very successful businessman and he has a big old house and he goes on this business trip to Ephesus. So Epaphras goes to Ephesus. That's really difficult, okay? And so he goes to Ephesus and he's gone for a really long time. He stays gone on business longer than he usually does. And so you're wondering, man, where, where did my friend go? And all of a sudden you see him in the marketplace. He's back in Colossae. And you go up to him and you say, hey man, how was Ephesus? And he tells you this crazy story. He says, man, when I was in Ephesus, I met this guy named Paul. And Paul was telling everyone about this guy named Jesus. And what happened was it turned the city upside down. They started shutting down the economy. Uh, People stopped buying uh, the the false gods, the idols, because so many people were believing in Jesus. And you're like, man, uh, that's crazy. But that's not really unusual because you live in Colossae. And people talk about that kind of stuff all the time. There's all kinds of gods. There's all kinds of belief systems and all that. And then he says, no, look, I believe it. Like I'm, I'm coming back and I'm, I'm different. I believe in this Jesus. And he says, look, can we just go sit down somewhere so I can tell you about it? So you guys go to Starbucks, because obviously that was, that was there. Um, and he says, look, here's what I've learned. Jesus is God, not just a God, but the one true God. And this guy named Jesus, most of his ministry was really far away from here, but what he did is he went around healing people and he went around preaching this message of love and forgiveness and showing anyone who followed him this whole new way to be human, a way to be human that's uh, based on self-sacrifice, not self-promotion. And what he did, he's so courageous, he uh, confronted all the hypocrisy in the religion at that time and confronted the self-righteousness and he invited, maybe, maybe the most crazy part is he invited people of all different walks of life, in all different backgrounds, with all different stories, 
even those who have just made a complete mess of their life and invited them to follow him because what he's bringing is what he called the kingdom of God, a kingdom of peace that the whole world has been waiting for. And then he looks at you and he says, and this is the part that I need you to just really follow me on. He says, and what happened is, is Rome killed him. Rome crucified him outside of the city. And maybe your heart sinks just a bit because you were excited, because he was excited. And then he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, look, I know this sounds crazy, but he's alive. What do you mean he's alive? Well, he died, but he rose again. And you're like, no, people don't die and rise again. And he says, Jesus does. And Jesus did. And all these people saw and all of his followers are now spreading from all around the region. And and they are believing that because he died and because he rose again, anybody, and I mean anybody, can join in this mission of what he's doing. And he looks at you and he says, I want that to happen in Colossae. I want that to happen in my hometown. I want this city to just be turned, uh, not upside down, but right side up because of Jesus and who Jesus is. And he shares all of that with you. And uh, you're a little bit skeptical, but you're super interested. And so he invites you to keep coming to his house and he invites anybody to keep coming to his house. And sooner or later, you believe. You believe. Okay, I believe in this Jesus. I believe he loves me. I believe he's forgiven me. But not only you believe, you know that that's not just an individual commitment. You know that God has a plan to use your belief to change your city. And so y'all start meeting in Epaphras' house and people are coming to know Jesus and it's growing and it's spreading. And uh, you know Epaphras is preaching, but it grows so large that you have to start meeting in two houses. And so you consider maybe streaming the sermon from one house to the other house, but you're like, no, 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 an autonomous church with local preaching is just best, right? And, and, and you're committed to that. Sorry, I'm not, I'm actually not, I'm not sorry. Uh, that was necessary. And so that's growing and that's happening. And then guess what? Being a Christian in Colossae is really difficult. It's really hard. Uh, You remember the two things we said. It's really diverse and they already have a king. And so you remember your Jewish neighbor? Your Jewish neighbor starts coming to check out the church and starts saying, oh, well, look, I, I know all about God. I know more of the Old Testament than you know, and so Jesus sounds great. Let's take Jesus, but what you need is you need this spiritual practice, and what you need is you need this religious belief. And so Jesus is great. Just add to him. Your, your weird neighbor from across the street starts coming as well, and he's like, I worship all of these spirits, and so you also need to believe these things. And so it's not a rejection of Jesus, but it's let's take Jesus and let's add to him, and that starts happening. And then people start coming into the church, and they're like, hey, listen, I have heard that this new religion claims that there's another king and it's not Caesar. And you're laughed at and people start teaching. No, 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 look, that's supposed to be something that's just personal and just spiritual. The moment you start believing that actually changes things, you want people to worship and to follow and give their allegiance to Jesus, we're gonna have problems. And so turn down the king language Colossae already has a gospel. It already has good news. It already has a king. And this starts happening in your church. A press to pull away from Jesus, a press to add to him or a press to subtract from him because he's not actually in control. And if we can just uh, time out from story time for just a minute, and I want to make this observation. The most dangerous problems any group of believers has ever faced has stemmed from adding to the work of Christ or subtracting from the person of Christ. 
when uh, Jesus is not enough and so we need to borrow from other places and lean into other things because his work isn't enough or I don't trust that he is who he says he is so maybe he's good enough to forgive me of my sins but not big enough to trust with all of my life. And so in saying that, hear me, persecution from the outside does not kill a church. A society that becomes less tolerant of Christian beliefs doesn't kill a church. Historically, the church thrives in both of those environments, but what chokes her out is when from the inside, those who claim to love Jesus add to his work or subtract from his rule in a way that makes us less dependent on him and makes him less than who he has shown himself to be. That's, if, if, if we're thinking about how are we going to wade through what's going on in the climate and all of the shifts, it's not that we need to be uh, protected from what's going on out there. We need to double down on what we say we believe and believe it in such a way that it sends us out so robustly and transformably into the world around us. And the confession, the base level confession we need is that he's all we got and he's all we need. Look, I got ahead of myself. This is beginning to happen in Colossae. This add to and this subtract from, and, and, and you see people pulling away from Jesus. And so you're there in this city with this young church. You're worried. And your buddy Epaphras, who first brought the gospel to the city, he's like, look, this is above, this is above my knowledge. I need to go find Paul. So he goes and he finds Paul. And you are there in Colossae, and he's gone for a really long time. And then all of a sudden, the church is still meeting, and you're kind of trying to hold it all together. And then all of a sudden, someone shows up and says, hey, I have a letter from a guy named Paul. And so you call the church together, and they're all packed into Epaphras' house, and it's young and old, and it's rich and poor. And what you know is you knew Epaphras found Paul, told Paul about what's going on with the adding to Jesus and the subtracting from Jesus. And so what I'm going to read, what we're about to hear is what our church needs to know to be able to remain faithful in a city where it's hard to be a Christian. And everyone packs in. Most of the people in your church can't read, so the letter has to be read out loud. And you're sitting there in that living room, and he opens his mouth and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. And he lays down this truth that life in Christ. Uh, he says, where are you? Okay, we're in Colossae and it's a mess. But what are you? You're in Christ. And so to be in Christ where you are means that you press into Jesus for all that you need, but at the same time, you stay planted where he has commissioned you and sent you because the people around you need the Christ that you have. And so here's what he's going to do from here. He's going to say to those who, just to, just to get a little bit into the book, he's going to say to those who think you need to add to Jesus, in chapter two, he says, be rooted in Christ and built up in him. You have all the nutrients you need with your life planted in Christ. And then those who say that Caesar is the one who's really in charge, Paul says, look, Caesar might have built an empire, but Jesus made the world. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things are made, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are made through him and for him. Guess what? Jesus was before Caesar. He will be after Caesar. He is the one that really is in control of the world and holds the world. Listen, why this book at this time? If I communicated the way that I hoped, that, that's going to be pretty obvious, but let me try just for clarity. You and I, most of us, 
lives somewhere in Collin County. Uh, and Collin County is growing larger and larger by the day. Have you noticed? And in it growing larger and larger by the day, it's growing more and more diverse by the day. Is that true? Uh, and in that, a lot of that is business. Some of that is people being forced to move here. And so we share with this city that we live in this melting pot of cultures. And look, in any given day, if you're paying attention in any given day, you may not have like a Jewish neighbor. The guy across the street may not worship uh, some sort of spirit or something like that. Maybe they do. But at the very least, you are exposed to and you see uh, all of these different ideologies and beliefs. And look, even if it's just the digital neighborhood you live in, even if it's just the online neighborhood you live in, because now with access to just all that is around us in our pockets, we see and hear all of these different beliefs and all of these different, like there are so many messages about what's going to fix your life and what's going to fix the world and who's going to do it and what you need to believe. And I don't think the danger for most of us in this room uh, would be to deny Jesus altogether, but being exposed to that and exposed to that, the questions come in like, am I right? Are we right? With all these other beliefs that are circling out there, do maybe they have something that I need is there maybe a piece that I can just add to what I believe and it's going to kind of be the thing that makes it complete for me, especially in an age of people who are just growing in anxiety and growing in fear. And then also we live in a city. We live in cities that already have gospel messages. And the gospel message is not that Caesar is in charge and that he is king in Rome far away. The gospel message in 2019 Collin County is that you command your own destiny. You are Lord of your own life. Uh, you are king. And so the good news message is that you can get what you want and you can avoid what you don't. And as life gets uncomfortable, just change the rules. Just change the rules. In this world, in Collin County, you live in that world. And I don't know all of you, but one day for most of you, an epiphers came to you and told you about Jesus, told you about love and forgiveness and a, a, a bloody cross in an empty tomb. And, and maybe that was in your home 30 years ago. Maybe that was on your college campus last week, but somebody came to you and shared that good news with you. And then God has taken all of those stories and brought them together in this room at this church at this time. And what we are saying is we are a church that has a great lineage. We're being commissioned out. We're calling ourselves Citizens Church because we so desperately want to be a picture of the kingdom that will never fade, of the kingdom that will never fade. God, use us to be placed where you've sent us to make a difference for you. And so just like Colossae, even though it was not Rome, looked like Rome because Caesar was in charge. Oh, that our cities, even though they are not heaven, would look like heaven because Jesus is in charge. That's our hope. That's where we're wanting to go together. And guess what? It is really hard to be a Christian in Collin County, at least to be the kind of Christian that Jesus envisions when he speaks about what our life should look like. It's really hard. It's hard because of all of those messages that are swirling around, and it is so easy, and maybe it's not even adopting other worldviews. Maybe it's just a matter of simply looking to the things and the people in our life as necessities instead of gifts, looking to them to offer something of what we can only get 
from Jesus. And then it is so easy to believe this false gospel uh, that we are in control of our own world and to identify as someone who believes God exists, but to operate as someone who's actually self-sufficient, to operate as someone who uh, has in and of ourselves everything we need to make it in this world. And so look, the moment following Jesus might mean giving up some of that control. The reaction of the heart, even if we don't say it out loud, is, hey, turn down the king talk. Me running my life is the good news I most believe in. We need these words, church. What Paul is going to say, the vision he's going to give this church of how to remain faithful, of not pulling away from Jesus and not pulling away from where God has placed that life in Christ is what we need that we might be, that we wouldn't waste our time playing religious games, that we wouldn't waste our time trying to consume religious goods to massage guilty consciences, but that we would actually robustly be a people that believe Jesus is Lord, not in a way that you put on a coffee cup, a coffee cup or a way that's like on a cheesy t-shirt, but in a way that actually transforms hearts and home and workplaces, life in Christ, in Christ where we are. Where he's going to start uh, is verses 3 through 8. I want to read through these at such a high level, make some uh, comments about them. And then ultimately what I want to do is I want to look in verse 7 at something that I just think we need to know and to hold on to if this is actually going to be who we become together. He says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's going to write, he's going to encourage them what it looks like to be in Christ at Colossae. And the very first thing he does is he says, there are so many things that are already true about you that are so wonderful. It's just so encouraging. He says, you are, uh, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. When you hear that word Christ, that is not Jesus's last name. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It means you have placed your faith in Jesus as king in a city where everyone else says that somebody else is already king. And so he's admonishing them. You have faith in Jesus for all of life. And then he says this, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Colossae is a very diverse city. That word all is very important. A love that you have for all saints. Here's what it doesn't say. A love that you have for the saints that look like you. A love that you have for the saints that agree with you. A love that you have for the saints that fall into the same political party as you do in Colossae. A love that you have, no, a love that you have for all the saints. And what he means by that is he means that the gospel has come in. And one of the signs that the gospel has actually come into a place is that it unifies all those who believe in it, despite all of the things that they might not have in common. Listen, we've been taught this well. I will say something that we've said around here for a long time. You cannot love God and hate his people. You can't love God and hate the church. You can't love God and just be tolerant of his people. To love God is to love those that confess to believe what you believe about who God is and what God has done. And he's going to make this point when he says it like this in verse 5. You have a love for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What he does not mean is you have a love for the saints because you believe you're going to spend eternity with them, although that's true. 
That's true. Uh, Josh saying at the very end of the, of the set, uh, better is one day in your courts and a thousands elsewhere. That song, I have sung that song at my grandfather's funeral and at my grandmother's funeral and at my aunt's funeral. And what we believe to be true is that those who are in Christ spend eternity with Jesus and spend eternity together. But the point Paul is making is not that you love people because you're all gonna go to heaven when you die. He's saying that the hope laid up for you in heaven, you both collectively together, despite all your differences, you want that hope, that future hope to erupt into the present in your city. What is the hope laid up in heaven? It's Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ruling and reigning over all the earth. And so what he's saying is so beautiful that there are people who collectively together have a hope in what God's doing in my life through Jesus, what God's doing in our world through Jesus. And that hope is so deep in my heart. And if you hope in the same way, we will love one another, even if we're still very different from one another. And he's saying that came to Colossae. And he goes on to say, I want to get to to the thing I want to leave us with. He goes on to say, it's bearing fruit among you. It's spreading throughout the whole world and it's bearing increasing in you. And then look with me at verse seven. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So having walked through this story, here's what we know he's saying. There is a faith in Jesus the Christ There is a love for all saints. Even though you don't all look the same, believe the same, act the same. There is a hope laid up in heaven. That's growing. And you know why that's happening? Because a businessman went on a business trip that changed his life. And it changed it so thoroughly that he went back to his hometown. And he had a vision for what it could look like for Jesus to be the king of Colossae. Over the past few weeks as we've had guests come, uh, you know, whether it was Josh three weeks ago and then Trevor and then all the guys who came in last Sunday, uh, one of the conversations that I've had, not the exact same conversation, but the same general conversation is they're kind of been asking, hey, what's, what's next for Citizens Church? And so some of that are really practical questions like, hey, you know, y'all's services are, are, are pretty full. Are you thinking about adding a third service? And, uh, or even just a very general question, like, hey, what do you see this looking like five years from now? And, and there's strategy for that, and there are thoughts behind that, but where I keep coming back to, like what I feel such a burden to capture is less of what does this look like for us five years from now in terms of numbers or even in terms of ministries or in terms of services and what I want to capture and what I want to spend our time pleading for is answering the question of who are we becoming together? Who are we becoming together? Because there's amount of people that we could pack into this building five years from now. And if those amount of people are not the kind of people that have a vision for their life where Jesus rules and reigns and a vision for their workplace and their city where Jesus rules and reigns, then we would have wasted our time. We would have not become together who we set out to become together. And as I've thought about that and had those conversations with those men, I have just been so stuck in this book, especially mindful of this guy named Epaphras. Like, can you imagine as he's coming back from the work trip, taking his first few steps into his city, being the only one who believes what he believes, and then having the courage to share that belief, even if he remains all alone in it. 
Like, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be the first person in a Roman city to believe that the real king is a guy Rome killed who came back to life, ascended to heaven, and is building a kingdom through radical love. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a kind of faith in something when believing that thing is unpopular. Hear me. Uh, it, it may not be true that it is currently where we live, where we work, it may not be true that it is currently unpopular to believe in Jesus. But I don't think it would be a stretch to say that if we're observant, it's becoming less and less popular. And my hope for us, two sides of kind of the same question, one would be that we believe this gospel enough that as we see maybe what's happening is Christianity is being pushed out to the margins, my hope is that we believe this gospel enough to be pushed out with it. And then the other side of that is my hope is that we believe this gospel enough to believe that we are both invited, commanded, and equipped by God in this world to make a difference, even if it's changing. Even if in 2019, it's not what it is in 2019 to be a Christian in Collin County like it was in 1989 to be a Christian in Collin County. And that's where I think we need our brother Epaphras and his story to just encourage us. So uh, since 1950s, church attendance in the West has decreased by 50%. So about half of the people uh, are identifying as Christian or half of the people are at least uh, actively involved in Christian community and Christian practices. And so that's been happening since the 1950s. It's been a decline. And I don't know all the reasons behind that. I, 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 I think that we could all just agree together that if, as I say that out loud, nobody's really shocked by that. You're like, yeah, that's kind of what I see. And that's what I've been experiencing. Now, as that decline has been happening, over the last 20 years, especially in the last five years, there has been the, the uh, birth and increase of this other phenomenon that's happening at the same time. The decline of Christian practice in the West, but then the incline of famous, popular, well-known Christian leaders. And so it's authors, uh, it is uh, preachers who have just these massive followings, uh, crazy book sales. It's these bloggers or authors or figures that have a huge social media presence. And hear me, uh, as that's been happening, I'm so grateful for it. I really am. I'm grateful for it. I, I have access to, to, uh, to thinkers and ideas that I just would not have access to unless God had given them a platform, given them a large platform to speak very personally. We are a church that was a campus uh, and we were connected to a movement of God that he has done through one of those famous, well-known, influential leaders. And I'm so grateful for it and I'm so grateful for him. But, but, what I'm concerned about is as you see the decline happening, like our culture's changing, as you see the decline happening, this is becoming less and less popular, and then you see the increase happening of these gifted, well-known, influential uh, ministers, uh, speakers, authors, and it's so public. As that's happening, what I'm afraid is that we look and we say, I don't fit anywhere now. Like, uh, if God is going to turn things, if God is going to make a difference, he is going to use these people, and I'm not one of them. 
He's going to look at special. He's going to look at extremely gifted. He's going to look at massive platform. He's going to look at public influence, and he's going to use them. And if he's going to do something, he's going to do it through them. And so then the small and the unseen interactions, don't just, they just don't matter as much anymore. And so I'm sitting here watching that happen, and I love Jesus, and yet the world is getting a little crazy, and I just don't really have a whole lot of confidence that God's going to do anything through me in this climate. And what I love about the book of Colossians is that the gospel takes over the city. It's what Paul says, it's growing among you. The gospel takes over the city through an ordinary businessman. Paul didn't found this city. One of Jesus's 12 disciples did not, did not start the church in this city. It was not a household name. It was this ordinary guy who goes on a business trip. His life has changed. And most of you heard his name for the first time this morning, right? Look, uh, what was true about him? Could he preach in a way that would draw a crowd? I don't know. Was he a gifted apologist, a gifted leader? I don't know. Uh, was he really spiritually mature? Well, at this point in the writing, he'd been a Christian. At the point when he planted the church, he had been a Christian for less than six months, if that. Uh, did he come from a, a really well-to-do home? Did he come from a really stable home or did he come from a broken home? Did he have these wounds that he had to overcome? Was he ever anxious? Did he ever doubt these things? I don't know, but what did he have? Faith. He had faith that Jesus is king. He had faith that came out as love for all the saints and hope in heaven. And as he's walking back into his city, what he believes is he believes that he has encountered an extraordinary God and an extraordinary savior. And he wants that God to do a work in his hometown. And he believes he can do it through an ordinary person that maybe has more questions than he has answers. And he can do it because he's an extraordinary God. He says, Jesus is king of Colossae. And I believe it so deep in my bones that I won't stay still about it. Citizens Church, I want us together more than what I want. God wants us together to believe that that's what we are. Doesn't need you to be famous. Doesn't need you to have all the answers. Doesn't need you to be brilliant. He doesn't need you to have a platform. He wants you to live as if he has a throne. And he does. And he wants to use you uh, I wake up early on Sunday mornings uh, just because of the day. And one of my goals in waking up early is, is I want to wake up before my kids wake up just so I can have a moment. Uh, and it just never works. <laughs> no matter what happens, they're always up before I am. That was true this morning. I wake up and my two oldest are up already. And they had already raided the pantry. And they were somehow they were already bored. It's like, it's like 30 minutes into the day. How are you already bored? But they're, they're already bored. And I'm getting ready. And Asher, uh, he knows it's Sunday, uh, mostly mostly because uh, it's the only day I ever wear a collared shirt. And so he knows that today is church day. And he asked this question. He says, Dad, uh, what's going on today at church? And I said, what do you mean? And he says this, is it a special service or just an ordinary one? And what he means by that is we had commissioning service and his grandpa was in for that. And uh, and then, we, you know, before that, we had other people coming in. And then, you know, maybe a month ago, we just had other things going on. And so that's kind of why he's asking the question. But, but what I heard in that, I just got a, a smile on my face. And with a tremendous amount of confidence in the Lord and what he's doing, I looked at him and I said, Bud, it's just an ordinary Sunday. Just ordinary. It's an ordinary service. And we'll sing ordinary songs. 
And we'll gather together and we'll pray ordinary prayers and we will hear from God and we'll listen to an ordinary preacher and then we'll go to our ordinary homes and we'll work ordinary jobs and ordinary will be enough. Ordinary will be enough because we believe in an extraordinary Savior who's not looking to use special people. He's looking to do something special with those who have given their hearts to him. And that's what I want God, would you just make us a place where ordinary is enough because Jesus, you are all that we've got. Citizens Church, life in Christ, changing our hearts, changing our homes, used by God to change the world around us. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. I am just eager to be in this with this group of people. Eager, God. Uh, there is so much more I don't know, not just about our next five years. There is so much more I don't know about the next five weeks. And you hold it all in your hands and you see it all. And, and, and God, even to, to sit and, and I, want to, I want to say this to you, God, in front of these men and women that I love, to preach that sermon, not as a rebuke to a absent lazy, uninvolved people, but to preach it as an encouragement to a people that are already about that work. Praise you, God, that I look out at this room and I see men and women who are looking around and saying, I don't get it. I don't understand all of it, but I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. You're all we've got. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.